Welcome to The Trophy Life, the podcast where guests share their winning habits. This week, I am so excited to welcome Olympic champion Jenny Thrasher. Jenny took the gold medal in the women's 10mm air rifle event in Rio at the 2016 Olympic Games. Jenny shares her strategy of using a growth mindset to not only claim that Olympic gold, but to finish her degree in engineering and to even secure a utility patent for a new invention. This episode is a must listen for anyone that has that winning spirit. Don't forget to like, leave a comment, and most of all, subscribe. Welcome, Jenny. How are you tonight? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. An Olympic gold medalist, Olympic champion. Do you get introduced as the Olympic champion everywhere you go? Pretty much. It's like the worst kept secret, you know, because I don't really talk about it very often, but I'll be with a friend and we'll meet someone else and they'll be like, guess what Jenny did? (laughs) Well, that's exciting though. Does it ever get old? To be honest, yes. Oh, it does. It, okay. It, it's hard because you're a multifaceted person, right? You're you're more than just an athlete. And I think sometimes people only see you for your biggest accomplishment in life, mm-hmm. whether that's Olympic champion or author or anything, you know, right. or even or simply like years. mother. Yeah, degree, yeah. whatever it is. I, mm-hmm. I feel like people like to put other people in boxes and it's right. not mean. It's not malicious. It's just one of those things like it's easy for their brain to categorize that way. Right. So sometimes it it does get old because all I, you know, I go to the range all day. I train all day. I live at the Olympic training center where the culture is very Olympic centric. And then sometimes I go home and I want to take a break, you know, (laughs) talk about how you grew up. You grew up in Springfield, Virginia. Is that correct? Kind of. So my dad was actually in the air force. (gasps) Oh, great. Okay. Yes. So we moved around a lot. I think I had lived nine different places before ninth grade. Wow. Yeah. So we moved around a lot, but in ninth grade, we actually moved to Springfield, Virginia, which is kind of like the DC suburbs. And two years later, he actually retired from the air force and they decided to stay so I could finish out high school in the same place. Oh, well, that was good. Now, were you overseas at all when you were doing all of these moves? I was not. My parents were before I was born, but I was not. So your travel was primarily across the U.S.? Yes, yes. We live mostly on the East Coast, too. Mm -hmm. Was that difficult making friends and starting at school? You know, I think there were pros and cons, right? Mm -hmm. I think one of the pros was you get really close to your family and you rely on them a lot and you kind of have a tight knit unit and you also become more adaptable, right? Mm -hmm. You learn how to walk into a room and make a friend because if you're not going to do it, you're going to have no friends, right? Mm -hmm. So I do think it made me more adaptable and more interested in people. But yeah, there are some hard things. I would say I don't really have any close friends from childhood. I don't really have the people that you're born in the same year and you know each other all the way through your life just because it's it's really hard to it's hard to do long distance friends now as an adult, right? And right. I think it's almost impossible for for kids. Well, getting close to your family, your grandfather had a pivotal influence uh, on your eventual Olympic championship. So can you share a little bit about that? For sure. So like I said, my dad was in the Air Force and he would take us out shooting occasionally. But when I was an eighth grader, so I was 13 years old, I decided I wanted to go hunting. And every year, my dad and my two older brothers and my grandfather would all go hunting. So I asked my grandfather, I was like, will you take me hunting? And I expected him to say no. I expected him to say, no, we only take the guys hunting. But 
he was thrilled. He could not have been more ecstatic to take me hunting. Um, and he said, of course. And so it was pretty cool because there's a special like opening weekend mm-hmm. that's only, you know, kids under 16, military, active duty military, and then, you know, seniors over 65. So all three of us, my dad, me and my grandpa could go on the special weekend. And it was a lot of fun. But I also realized I, I don't love hunting. Mm-hmm. I like shooting, like shooting was the part of hunting. I liked the best. And the next year I actually went to high school and that kind of hunting trip was still on my mind. And I decided to try out for the high school's varsity air rifle team. And that's kind of how it all began. Wow. One thing that I did learn about shooting is that the teams are co-ed. Is that Mm -hmm. right? In high school and in college, but not internationally. So at the Olympics, it is separated by gender. Okay. So you were competing against some of the best men and women out there. So how, what was the ratio? How many women versus men were on your collegiate team? Yeah. So a few years later, when I went to college, some of the colleges are actually all female, but the majority of the colleges are co-ed. And so when I went, there were 10 people on the team and two of us were female. So 20% female, 80% male. Now that shifted a lot as I went through college. So by the time I graduated, it was more like 60, 65% female. Wow. So it's just with such a small team, it can vary so much over the years, just based on each recruiting class, really. So you had success in high school Mm -hmm. with this sport. Now, did you, did you play any other sports? Did you compete in anything else? I played a lot of sports growing up, a lot of sports growing up. And my parents, they kind of had two rules. You always have to be doing a sport. Right. And you can't quit mid-season. They were my rules too. They're good rules. (laughs) You know what? I think we've uncovered the Olympic recipe. (laughs) I think we have. So what were the sports that you were involved with growing up? So I had two older brothers. And so it was always whatever they were doing, yes. you know, they just put me in the car and I had to go do that too. So I think probably my very first sport was actually baseball because both my brothers were playing baseball. So, okay. you know, I went to the next field and played baseball. You know, I remember being like five or six and playing T-ball mm-hmm. and I hated it. And so then I tried swimming with one of my brothers. We did summer swim team. I also hated that. It, that was the story of my childhood was like, trying a new sport, doing it for a year or two, hating it. And, you know, part of it was I wasn't very athletic. I was small. I was uncoordinated. And to be honest, until I found shooting, I did not think of myself as an athlete at all. So let's see, what else did I try? Volleyball, cross country, basketball. Um, So I, those were all sports in like elementary school, early middle school. And then eventually my oldest brother went to college and my middle brother got his driver's license. So, you know, my parents were like, okay, well, what sports do you want to do now? And I chose figure skating and figure skating was the first sport I ever loved. It was the first sport I ever said, wow, I actually enjoy the sport. Um, And I actually, so I started figure skating in sixth grade Mm -hmm. and I actually did it all the way until I graduated high school, but not at a competitive level. I hated competing in figure skating. I just, I wanted to be on the ice. I wanted to enjoy my time. I didn't want to compete. Right. And I didn't want to make the sacrifices necessary to be really, really good at figure skating. Right. You know. 
I was yeah, okay. No, yeah, but I know I, what they I are. Never, you know, I yeah, exactly. Like I never wanted to go to the next level. I just wanted to do it, and I was okay with that. And then when I found shooting, it wasn't a sacrifice anymore. Right. Right. Like going to the next level was something I deeply wanted, and I knew I could do. And it didn't matter how many hours or what I had to give up, I was mm-hmm. going to do it. And it yeah. it was a privilege instead of a sacrifice right. in my mind, which. I think is really important. That I think that's the second ingredient when we talk about recipe for raising an Olympian, because people ask me all the time, like how, you know, my child is very good at soccer or my child is, you know, very coordinated and on the top of her gymnastic team. How do you know if you're raising an Olympian? And my answer always is they tell you, mm. they tell you with their unquenchable thirst for Drinking that sport in 24 seven, if they could. Yeah. It has to be an internal motivation. Yes. Yes. No parent can. Well, I mean, maybe they can, they shouldn't Mm -hmm. force a, force a kid to do X, Y, and Z. Like the kid Mm -hmm. has to want to do it. And maybe there's some mornings where the kid needs a little encouragement, but at the end of the day, it's their choice. Right. Well, for m- most of these sports, especially sports that are individual, I mean, there is a team element to your sport, but it's an individual performance that's, mm-hmm. you know, collected on top of the others. And then you have the individual event, much like in figure skating, but you can't, a parent cannot go out on the ice. The parent cannot <laughs> get in position and hold the the rifle for yeah. the athlete. You know, the parent can't kick the ball. The parent can't. So, and I warn parents, there is not enough money to throw at somebody (laughs) to raise their enthusiasm or because talent isn't the only thing that a person needs to fulfill an Olympic dream. They need to have an open mindset, a growth mindset. They have to believe one, that it's possible and two, that they are worth investing the work. So tell us a little bit about how, when you started college, you were introduced through a peak performance coach. Is that right? Uh, The Mm -hmm. idea of controlling your own destiny through identifying your core beliefs, knowing what they were, you could target them into successful behaviors. And that's called growth mindset versus Mm -hmm. fixed mindset. So tell us where you were as you entered college. Yeah, I was a sponge when I entered college. I had a few years of practice behind me. I love the sport, but to be honest, I had never had, um, I had great coaches. I had great coaches, but I had never had super high level national caliber coaches. Right. I had my high school coach who was an absolutely fantastic guy. And I still call him to this day, but you know, I, I didn't have the formal training that some Mm -hmm. of my, you know, competitors and and teammates had had, but it didn't really matter because I was a sponge. And when I came into college, it was a time when I finally could shoot as much as I wanted to. Cause when Mm -hmm. I was in high school, I never got enough range time. So all of a sudden I could shoot as much as I wanted to. And I had the best collegiate coach in the country helping me and I had a team with an amazing culture and I had access to 
Dr. Raymond Pryor, who was kind of the team's like consultant, but really like sports psych, basically. I was very interested in the mental side. I think shooting is one of the most mental sports out there. I don't think people understand that. It's so mental. So I knew that's where you get the points. And I was super excited to start working with him and kind of get this idea of growth mindset versus fixed mindset. And I just felt like the whole year, I was just like every day learning something new. Every day, just my mind was being blown by these new ideas. And I feel like my um, my excitement for the sport was just, you know, it's really... I feel like learning is such a catalyst for that passion to really unleash itself and that competitive fire. So uh, about six months, you know, one semester into college, that really started like paying off all the things I had started learning. I started shooting new personal bests. And then we went to NCAAs in March. And I actually kind of had the, the ideal match. And as a freshman, that's, you know, very hard to come by. So we have two different events, the small bore, which is a 22 caliber rifle, and then the air rifle event, which is a 0.177 pellet rifle. So they were shot on different days at NCAAs. And you have your team title, and then you have individual titles for both events. And I ended up having a complete sweep. I won the both individual titles. West Virginia won the team title and I became the youngest person to ever do so. And it was kind of like the culmination of everything I'd been learning that year. And it was finally starting to come together. And then three weeks later were Olympic trials. So how did you keep that? Because there is an old saying, you cannot live on top of a mountain. So how did you take, like, what advice did um, Dr. Pryor give you or your coach or parents give you about that this outcome is temporary? And how do you contain that confidence and know that you can sustain that level of excellence? Because I think that might be ingredient number three in our Olympic casserole that we're creating here. (laughs) How did you sustain that mindset? That is such a good question because I remember getting back from NCAAs and just being so sad, so sad that it was over. That was my first real experience with like after a big match or a big competition, there's a letdown, right? And it's a very natural letdown. I think everyone in life, you know, a few months after your wedding, you're probably Mm -hmm. on a letdown, right? But, you know, for Olympians, they call it post-Olympic depression. Um, But so after NCAAs, I was, that was my first experience with it. And I was very confused. I was like, why am I sad? I just had this goal Mm -hmm. for a year and I set out and I did everything possible and I won. I did it. I should be Mm -hmm. happy. I got the outcomes. And that was my first real experience with like, Mm -hmm. wait a sec. It's not the outcomes that fulfill us. Mm -hmm. And I just remember three weeks later, I was still kind of reeling from all the emotions and adrenaline Mm -hmm. of NCAAs. And I was not the favorite going into Olympic trials. And I remember kind of talking to my coach, John, beforehand, kind of being like, I don't know, you know, we're in the middle of midterms and we just finished NCAAs and we had spring break and just like, I don't even know where I'm at or what I'm doing right now. And Mm -hmm. I remember he had a very growth mindset approach and he said, Jenny, you're there to learn. Go Mm -hmm. shoot the match and learn everything you can. It doesn't matter what you shoot. If it works out, it works out. If not, it doesn't. But go and learn everything you can. And this is great preparation for next year's NCAAs and you know the 2020 Olympic trials. Mm-hmm. And it was just a very long-term and calm growth mindset approach to mm-hmm. it. And I was like, 
oh, okay, I'll go there and try to learn everything I can. You know, typical 19 year old. (laughs) That's what a coach is supposed to do. You know, when I speak to coaches that are of that world level, Olympic level, they say their job is to convince the athlete that it's their job to worry. The athlete needs to show up and showcase what they've been practicing. They need to do exactly not 1% more. You know, they Mm -hmm. don't need to like hold back and practice. And then all of a sudden the day of the event do 110% because that's where a lot of people get into their heads. Most of the coaches told me that they take away the worry because an athlete should never be worried about scheduling or consequences of their performance. They should only be concerned about their performance because it is the coach's job that does that after action. Yes. Yes. And I agree. I think athlete management and having that, that perspective, I think sometimes when you're an athlete, it's hard to not be you know, you're, you're emotionally invested, right? Right. This is your life and what you work for. And and that's good to a point, right? You have to have the perspective of at the end of the day, we're playing a game and we're playing to see, can we be our best selves today? And if the answer is no, well, we can try to be our best selves tomorrow. Right. Mm -hmm. And even Mm -hmm. if it's the last day of our career, well, even when your career is over, your life isn't over, right? You just find a new craft. So I think, you know, uh, John, my college coach, and actually all the coaches I've ever had have done a really good job of having that kind of long-term perspective and, you know, being able to kind of pull me out of like overreacting about one match or one day. You have invested a lot in yourself academically after returning from the Olympics. So you, instead of going on, you know, a tour, international tour, and maybe I don't know if there's in the competitions internationally, if they're prize money and things like that, but you focused mainly, right, on your academic career. Yeah, I would say shooting, like a lot of niche sports, you know, there's not quite the monetary uh, opportunities that some of the the big five sports have for sure. But really, for me, I thought, you know, the value of my education and also having my education paid for and being in this training environment, which is clearly working for me, right? Right. And having this coach, I was like, I I think there's a lot of value in just staying where I am and kind of doubling down, you know? Yeah. And uh, and I'm really glad I did, of course. So I ended up getting my degree in biomedical engineering, right. which, you know, it's very fun to be a full-time athlete and a full-time mm-hmm. engineering student. But we, uh, we powered through and actually some of my best memories of college come from being an engineer and being with other engineers and being mentored and, you know, being in the classes. Well, I would think that you have to have that physics curiosity in order to be interested in shooting because it is about velocity and yeah, I would help me say out. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say that shooting, especially rifle shooting is really a sport of details, right? Yes. It is yes. a sport definitely for, for type, I would say type A personalities gravitate right. towards it. Perfectionist personalities mm-hmm gravitate towards it. People who like to solve problems, who like to tinker, you know, and I think honestly, shooting is the the best personality fit for me of any sport I've ever had. You know, I love the freedom of being Mm -hmm. on ice when Mm -hmm. I would figure skate. 
And I love, actually, I would, I remember going and having conversations in like sixth grade, like my dad would pick me up from practice and we'd have a conversation on the ride home about like the physics of, you know, how fast I need to go to mm-hmm. get enough air to rotate on mm-hmm. the jump. Like I was interested in that in figure yeah. skating. I wasn't necessarily interested in, you know, the showmanship, the choreography, right. you know, things like right. that. But in shooting, there's, there's none of that. And one of the things I actually like best about it is it's completely objective. Right. Like yes. there is an, an exact sport. No, it no, is. Yeah. There's no judging. There's right. no, it doesn't matter how you do something. Mm-hmm. It matters the result at the end. And I think yeah. that that actually gives me personally a lot of freedom to experiment, to find my own style of shooting, to, to compete authentically. Right. Well, you are, may I say your age? You are born in 97. Yes, I am okay. 24. <laughs> okay. A lot of people, I'm very short. I'm only five foot one. And okay. a lot of people are like, you're 16. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. nope, I'm 24. <laughs> um, so you, I have a daughter that was born in 98 and I have another daughter. I have two daughters and four sons. So my daughters were 96 and 98. So okay. you would be sandwiched right between my two daughters. So I'm yeah. kind of familiar with that era you know, all the, the Bratz dolls and sure. um, <laughs> um, Powerpuff Girls. I think they were popular. Um, what were your favorites when you were, ch- when you were a young girl? Like favorite cartoons? Yeah. Yeah. I like toys. Tom and Jerry. I know it's old, but I like that. You know, I would growing up, I, I always just followed my brothers around, right? I was the youngest. I always just wanted to do what they did. So, you know, it was a, a lot of Jenny, do you want me to teach you how to play Mario Kart? Okay. Yeah. yeah, I'll play Mario Kart. So yeah, I feel like I played a lot of video games with them. Okay. That's fair enough. Now, when you were skating, who were the big skaters of that era? Did, did you have a favorite? Were you a Michelle Kwan fan yeah. or so who, uh, who Evan Lysacek. Okay. He was, he's an Olympic champion. Yes. So I, I watched him win gold. I don't remember what year that was. Van- well, I, I do know is Vancouver in um, 2010. Yeah. So it was in 2010 and I was in middle school and my science teacher looked exactly like him. And so I loved my science teacher because right. he looked exactly like Evan Lysacek. But, you know, I, re- I remember watching that and I probably had only been skating for a year or two. And I was yeah. like, how cool would that be to right. go to the Winter Olympics? And, you know, probably two or three years later, I realized I wasn't great at skating. You know, right. I, I was good. Like I'm, I could spin, I could jump, but, you know, we definitely weren't Olympic caliber mm-hmm. or ever going to be. And as soon as I kind of realized that, I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm not going to the Olympics. Like, mm-hmm. you're skating or bust. Was the Olympics your goal? No. Like, were you fascinated with the Olympics? No. Because, you know, there are adult figure skating, you know, there's two different, like a master level and then a adult level gold, silver, bronze level. Did you do testing when you were skating? A little bit, but not a lot. So we moved to Fairfax County. Oh, okay. So Michael Weiss's rink. Yeah. Well, yeah. Fairfax County has some very, very good figure skaters, right? So before we lived there, you know, I kind of was on par with kids my own age. Mm -hmm. But then when we moved there, you know, that's a hot spot. Yes. And it was eye opening. And Mm -hmm. I actually, because I didn't start till sixth grade, which is pretty late for figure skating. I wasn't as good at that time as the people my own age in that hotspot. 
Right. So that's kind of, you know, that was eye opening too. But I actually did end up becoming good friends with a lot of the adult figure skaters at the mm-hmm. rank because, you know, that's kind of who I related with more. And I actually remember my coach, Dana, she was amazing. And mm-hmm. so basically, I would go figure skate before school and then I'd go to school and then I'd go to rifle practice and then I'd go do my homework and go to bed. And I would see Dana, you know, two or three days a week in the morning and she would coach me for the lesson or whatever. But all we would do was talk about shooting. Yeah, She was, it was my release. It was my expression where I could, you know, if it was a tough day on the range, if something wasn't working, I could go be free and let my subconscious solve that problem while figure skating. And it's good cross training. It really helped my balance, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But Dana almost in high school was my sport psych because all sports at that level, you know, have a lot of the same mental game, you know, and she, we would be skating, but we would be talking through shooting problems. And she understood me. She understood Mm -hmm. that skating wasn't my future shooting was, you know, I talked to a lot of people, some former athletes, and they will tell me it was the training that even though they are not currently involved in that sport in their present day career, but it was the training in that sport at an early age that fostered great habits. Yeah. And it's the habits that carried them. So getting up early and being able to share your frustration while you're moving is a mm-hmm. very cathartic way of relieving stress. So again, you you are you attract very good coaches around you. And that's been such a benefit, I think, for you. Are you able you- to like tell? Like when you're with somebody, oh, this is a good connection. Yeah, I think so. You know, there's not as many coaches in shooting as there are in some other sports. But I think I'm a firm believer that if you surround yourself with the right people, you know, Mm -hmm. that's who you become like Mm -hmm. you adopt the habits, you adopt the level of performance of the people around you. I always try to surround myself with people who I admire and who are complementary personalities to me, Mm -hmm. if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Like. Mm -hmm. I have found my coaches over the years are like the ones I end up with for a long time, always end up being like very calm and very like even keel. And those are things like maybe I need more of in my life, you know? So I do think it's so important to you surround yourself with. And also I've realized over the years that no one person. And this Mm -hmm. applies to coaching, athlete relationships, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, whatever relationships, but no one person will be your everything. Right. No one person can fulfill 100% of what you need. But you know, if you know what you can give and get out of that relationship and you have multiple of them, you know, I think it's okay to have a coach or two and a sports psych and a friend you always talk about it with and call your parents and talk about this. You know, I think it's, it's important to know who to call mm-hmm. when. That's right. Like a toolbox. You know, you have to have all of your support systems lined up like your toolbox, right? When you're an athlete. Yes. Now you, after your Olympic championship, three years later, you graduate. And I saw, Mm -hmm. I was lucky enough, you know, I've been doing, you know, standing you and doing all of your uh, Google search. (laughs) And I saw a beautiful photo of you in your graduation gown. And just from having six kids, I know that the cords and the medals and they're from different honor societies and different achievement, academic achievements. So share a little bit for all the moms out there, because um, this is your chance uh, to, to explain what 
kind of awards you graduated with? Yeah, I was really fortunate to to be able to balance, you know, with, with my support system, with the help from them, you know, balance being a student athlete and being uh, a top level NCAA performer, as well as going to the Olympics during that time. Obviously, I was very busy, but yeah, I was able to graduate summa cum laude from West Virginia with my biomedical engineering degree. I also graduated with the Order of Augusta, which is, I'm not going to get this right. I think it's like the top seven or eight students um, from West Virginia from every major. Mm-hmm. Top nine NCAA Women of the Year. Top 10 NCAA Athlete of the Year, um, which is co-ed, of course. Yeah, it was just, um, you know, life's not about the the trophies, right? right. Like, that's not, that's not why we do it. I think we do it to push our ourselves and see like what our potential is to see where we can go. And I think it was really great being a student athlete because it taught me a lot of things, time management and balance and prioritization. But the other of which is that you are stronger than you know, that you can handle more than you think you can. And I think that's a great lesson for anyone to learn truly. Well, I think it's funny because, you know, the joke is freshman 15. And I think it's (laughs) funny that your freshman 15 was in the shape of a round gold circle. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now having all of those achievements, well, you graduated in 2019, again, to sustain that level of excellence, I would tell the athlete, you need to get out of your familiar zone and challenge yourself to new people, places, and things. Who put that bug in your ear that you should move from where you were out to the Olympic training center? For me, I knew I wanted to keep shooting and it wasn't a question of if it was just a question of where, you know, and it was like, okay, where can I go to have the best chance of continuing at a high level and Mm -hmm. getting better and, you know, even having a higher level. So I knew for me that was Colorado Springs and I'm very happy that, that I came here. So yeah, I moved out there. I guess that was two years ago now. Time really does fly. So it's great to have, you know, the resources. This is where uh, the national coach is. So the national coach is now like the coach I work with every single day. Just to foster that environment, life really becomes what you make it. You know, you're perfectly capable of training on your own and achieving great things. But why? Why take the hard road when you could make it easier, when you could be with teammates and training partners who can, you know, motivate you and push you and you can be with a coach who's there to support you and help you. Like you don't have to do it the hard way. (laughs) It's an amazing center. I've actually been there. My son was there several times. You know, he was on Team USA for Mm -hmm. more than 10 years, but when he had his, uh, he had a a terrible injury in 2017. And, um, you know, in order to rehab, to make the 2018 Olympic team, he needed intense physical therapy and training. So he went out and lived there for five months. It was, I mean, they have the best of the best of the best from nutrition to psychologists to maintenance crew. They have the best of the best. So now while you're staying there, do you ever go over to World Arena and do a little skating? uh, I do occasionally, not as much as I'd like to, to be honest with you, but I can even remember they would host in Colorado Springs Junior Olympics every yeah. year. And it's it's a very big deal. You know, domestically, the biggest mm-hmm. junior match of the year. And I remember one year qualifying for it. And, you know, mom and I were getting ready to fly out to Colorado. And she said, why don't you bring your ice skates? And I was like, what? 
And she's like, you train every day and you skate then. And that's a part of your routine. And we're going to have time. Like, it'll be fun. We'll go to where the Olympians train. Mm -hmm. And so I remember being like 16 or 17, you know, going to the world arena after my match and skating. And there's a picture of me, you know, braces, whole nine yards, you know, with the big like Olympic logo. And it's just... It's funny how things come full circle. Yeah, it is. It is. I remember Adam's, his first international assignment was in 2003, but we went to, it was in Luxembourg, but mm-hmm. we took a, you know, a few little stops along the way and we went to the Olympic Museum in Lausanne mm-hmm. and there's a picture of him outside. And I remember getting him a chocolate medal and he <laughs> didn't want to eat it. He wanted to like keep it. Yeah, it was very cute. Um, he was like 13. And that experience, you know, you're right. You know, you you can actually realize these dreams as long as you put in the work, right? And you keep that growth mindset about possibility. Now, there's something else that if you want to put like amazing accomplishments of a human being, Olympic medal, <laughs> check, you know, summa cum laude from the university with a very advanced degree in a hard science, check. You invented a product. Now, yes. uh, yeah, like in your spare time, you use that biomedical and engineering know-how and you actually invented a product for your sport. So tell us about that. Yeah, this is actually an accomplishment I'm very proud of. So we we had a class my senior year and it was all about entrepreneurship, how to like identify a need, how to make a product, you know, all the way to patent it, take it to market. And it was a really fun class. And so the, the next semester I'm training and we shoot in three different positions. So the standing position, the lying down or the prone position and the kneeling position. And when you're in kneeling, you have a roll like a cylindrical beanbag almost that you put your ankle on. And so I was training and I realized that for years, I keep falling off of it one way or another. I keep Mm -hmm. falling off of it. And I was like, there just has to be a better way, right? So I made a little like mock prototype using some Ziploc bags. And I was like, I want to try this. Like I want to actually have a real one. So I actually went to the WVU fashion and design department and I was like, Hey, would you offer one of your students extra credit to make this for me? The instructor said, no, but I'll do it myself because this sounds so cool. And I was like, oh, okay. So she actually worked with me and made it herself. And I started using it and I noticed a huge improvement that summer. Like I think the same month I graduated, I went to a world cup in Munich and most of the sport shooting equipment manufacturers are in Europe. A lot of them are in Germany. So one of them was there that I really like. Mech is the name of the company. And I took it to him and I was like, you know, will you manufacture this? Will you manufacture and sell this to other rifle shooters? And he said, yes. So we started manufacturing it together. And then I actually filed a patent on it. It's super exciting just to put those engineering skills to use. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is fascinating. Now, I know with gymnastics, figure skating, there is people kind of tap out at a certain age is mm-hmm. shooting something that you know you can continue well through your 30s and possibly 40s I'll tell you a really interesting statistic so in 2016 I made the final at the Olympics so what happens is all the athletes go and they shoot the qualification match and then they take the top eight athletes to the final okay. so when you get to the final just like in track and field your scores start at zero and there's just eight of you and then the winner of the final gets a gold medal 
right? Of the eight athletes, so the eight best women in the world in 2016, I was the youngest at 19. The average age of all eight of us was 31. Wow. Okay. And what was the, the oldest average person? age? I want to say 36 or 37, right. to be honest, because other than me, the next youngest was 27. Okay. Now you just had Olympic trials. Is that right? Yes, we okay. did. So it's been obviously a very weird time with COVID. Mm -hmm. So our Olympic trials squad were actually two parts. So part number one actually happened in October of 2019. And part number two was supposed to be the last week of March of 2020. Um, as you can guess, that did not happen. So yeah. part two was postponed to October of 2020 and then to March of 2021. And then, you know, we thought it was going to get canceled. And all of a sudden it was in May of 2021. So really difficult to have 18 months between your part one and your part two of trials. Mm -hmm. So actually shot very well in the first part of trials. The second part of trials, just it was a day where nothing went wrong. It just didn't perfectly come together. Mm -hmm. So I actually um, ended up in third place overall. The top two go to the Olympics. So I am the non-traveling alternate. Well, as an alternate, um, my son was alternate twice. So I do know that before he got his shot. And I do know it is one of the hardest things is to get up every day and put in a full day of training yes. with the with the possibility of not being able to go. Yes. I our sport typically in alternates kind of more of an honorary title because right. we don't have a lot of injuries of that sort, mm -hmm. but in a COVID year, anything could happen. So yeah. I'm, you know, taking it very, um, very seriously. It's not, mm -hmm. I, I'll be honest with like, I, I think all we do is talk about our successes. And I right. think sometimes we have to talk about our failures and normalize mm -hmm. the fact that the journey and the roller coaster that mm -hmm. is our journey mm -hmm. is part of why we do sports, right? And That's if right. we were winning every single day, if every shot we took was a 10, a great shot, right. then we wouldn't compete for very long. That would get very boring. So that's I right. think, you know, that's why we love sports is you never know what's going to happen. There's right. always the unexpected, the underdog could win, the reigning right. champion could win again. And right. so, yeah, I mean, this is, this is definitely not one of my peak times, one of mm -hmm. my pinnacles that I'm going to be looking back on when I retire and say, man, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, this is one of those times I, you know, it's, it's not as fun. It's not as fun yeah. to be an athlete right now but that's okay. That right. doesn't, I think we think of failure and challenges as diminishing from our journey. Maybe they actually add a depth. Maybe they actually add a flavor to our journey that makes it better in the end. You know, in Adam's case, he did not go in 2010. He did not go in 2014. He ended up going in 18 as a, like a fully grown man with mm -hmm. a platform, with the freedom to go with who he authentically was. So yeah. he would not have had that kind of freedom in 2010 and 2014. And he wouldn't have the confidence to take his Olympic experience and turn it into a professional career. Mm -hmm. So those two, what probably were the two hardest disappointments for him ended up being the greatest lessons that facilitated success beyond his wildest dreams. So I hope yes. that for and you. And I think, yeah, I think it may take a few years to, mm -hmm. to look back and say, you know, this is why this happened, or this is what I gained or how I grew out of it. 
I'm definitely not there yet. I don't right. know how be, being the alternate this year is going to help me in the future, but I think there has to be some optimism, right? There has to be mm-hmm. a belief that one day this will help me. And mm-hmm. I, even though I'm kind of in the middle of my career, I mm-hmm. guess I'll be going at well, um, the beginning, de- let's say beginning. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think we can say middle, okay. um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely, I've been doing this for 10 years now. Um, so we're definitely not at the end, mm-hmm. you know, I'll at least be going through Paris, likely LA, mm-hmm. you know, as, as long as I want to shoot, I will. And as long as I feel like I'm improving and authentically doing it, I will shoot. So in the middle of my career, I think even though we're not at the end, I'm starting to think a lot about legacy, mm-hmm. right? I'm starting to think on how can I impact this sport for the better? Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I don't know if I should be thinking on that at the ripe old age of 24, but I I do. And if not now, when, right? If not now, you don't want to wait 10 more years and say, I want to turn the clock back so that I can create a legacy, right? Exactly. And I think what I've kind of realized this year is my sport, even though it's Mm -hmm. a smaller sport and a very niche sport, there's a huge community there Mm -hmm. and a community of like-minded people who enjoy doing this craft and are willing to give everything for it. And I think tapping into that and elevating it and Mm -hmm. expanding it so other people can be aware of the sport. And that's kind of, you know, one of my goals on social media. Actually in 2016, I didn't even have social media. I thought it was too distracting. And at 19 years old, it probably was. And now at 24, um, I'm very active on social media, even though yes, some days it is more distracting than others. I think maybe my legacy on social media and teaching and being the person that, you know, that maybe people go to for knowledge or resources or whatever. I mean, that may affect more people than me winning a gold medal did. I don't know. That's right. Yeah, You know, and how fortunate is the Team USA shooting to have an Olympic champion? <laughs> you, you're elevated to the wise one now. So you do know what it's like to be in that clutch moment and what you yeah. did. I do tell people that I work with that failure is as temporary as success if you want it Mm. to be. And failure only becomes a failure. It's an option because we, and I I tease, I say, you know, I haven't had a failure in over 10 years, but I have made a lot of mistakes. I have (laughs) miscalculated. I have underestimated, but I chose not to sit in it. And it, if it doesn't become a mistake or a misstep or a miscalculation doesn't become a failure until you decide to sit in it. As long as you accept, oh, that wasn't what I planned. I'm going to improve. As long as you move from it, it's not a failure. It's a, it's a correction. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting perspective. My gift to I'd, you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'd actually like to tell you about a moment in Rio that mm-hmm. I think you'd find interesting. So I shot two events, the air rifle right. event and then the small bore event. And the air rifle event is the one you probably know about, right? So that was the very, it's the very first medal awarded in the Summer Olympics, Mm -hmm. which is very special, gives it a lot of significance. And actually it wasn't the event I made the Olympic team in. I made the Olympic team in the small bore event. And just because of how many slots we had, I also got to shoot air rifle. Now I was shooting very well in both at the time, but probably just a hair better in small bore. 
So when I won an air rifle, it was, I mean, so exciting, right? By 11 a.m., I'm on the podium and through drug testing. And then I spent 11 hours on the media tour, doing Mm -hmm. the interviews and the TV and the photo shoot and the radio and on and on and on. And you're a zombie. And I get back to the village and I'm so tired. I'm like the walking dead. I crawl into bed and I can't sleep. I laid awake all night. You know, so much adrenaline, such an experience. Three days later, I had to compete again mm-hmm. in small war. And my mindset had totally changed, right? I, at 19, with the experiences I had, I was not prepared to win a gold medal and then have to go compete again and bring my mindset back to that growth mindset, that learning based mindset. I was shooting small war and it was oh, well, if I just do this, then I'll win a second medal, you know? And Mm -hmm. I just, I didn't have the skills at that time to handle that because there's no way to prepare for that event, right? And I actually ended up coming one point out of making the final in small work, one point. And it was like having your biggest success to date. And then four days later, your biggest failure to date. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was insane to think about. And I was sad. I was so sad. And people said to me, you know, well, wouldn't you rather have a first and a 10th than a fifth and a fifth, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was like, yes, but I I could have had more. I could have been more. And I think that's all, you know, all athletes, we're never going to be satisfied. It's always going to be, well, if I did that once, could I do it again? Could I do it better? Could I do it? You know? So I think that moment eventually taught me that you have to embrace both sides, the failure and the success. And you also have to you have to talk about it. Anytime Mm -hmm. I talk about my gold medal, I try to talk about coming one point out of the final too, because people need to know it's not all sunshine and roses and Mm. that's okay. Yeah. That's a valuable lesson. Now, were you able to stay the entire length of the games and go in the closing ceremonies? I actually was not. So I didn't get to go in the opening ceremonies because I competed the next day. And then I didn't get to go to the closing ceremonies because I had school starting my sophomore year of college. And actually, it's kind of funny. On the way home in the airport in Rio, I got food poisoning. So I'm on this 10-hour flight and I am violently puking the whole flight. And I, I land and school starts the very next day and I land and my coach calls me and he says, so ESPN wants to follow you around to your first day of school tomorrow. And I'm like, you're kidding me. I'm like eating saltines. So I went to my first day of school with the camera crew. Yep. Oh boy. Oh boy. Welcome to being the Olympic champion, right? Exactly. Well, and I, I definitely, you know, shooting is a sport, you know, it's a pretty introverted sport. It's mm-hmm. not a sport where fame really exists on the same level as, you know, like basketball or football, like you're not a celebrity, but mm-hmm. I mean, that year I was the most famous person on campus. And I wasn't prepared, like nothing had prepared me to embrace that celebrity status. And for a long time, I, I didn't embrace it. I was, I just wanted things to go back to how they were before. And I think, you know, it's, it's been a long time, but finally now I can embrace the fact that I have a platform and that's a good thing. And I can influence others for the good. And 
even if sometimes it does drain me a little bit, even if sometimes it does pull me in a few different directions, maybe it's worth it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Now, we've got to get you back at the Olympic Games because you need to go in the opening (laughs) ceremonies. We have to change that schedule so that shooting is somewhere in the middle and you need to be at the closing ceremonies. Well, that would be the goal, wouldn't it? (laughs) Now, I always ask the guests, to give me their gold, their silver, and their bronze habit, a habit that you have collected that helps you sustain continued excellence and curiosity about this growth mindset or improving self-improvement. So what would you say are your best habits? I think my gold medal one would Mm -hmm. be journaling. So I journal a lot. And most of what I do is actually called intentions journaling. So like you do it before practice or in the morning and you journal, you know, what are your long-term goals for the year? What are your short-term goals for the day? What are you grateful for? What are your beliefs? You know, you, you truly take a moment to center yourself with this journaling routine before you start you know, start practice, start your day. And I just find I'm so much more focused and so much more productive when I do that. My silver medal one would be novelty. My sport can be a little monotonous sometimes, mm-hmm. not in a bad way, you know, but you really have to get into the minutia and the details to, to find things to work on, right? So I really try to keep it novel. Because if you get into the habit of doing the same thing every single day, like, your passion's probably not going to be at an all-time high. I think it's when you're having those conversations with mentors or teammates and coming up with new ideas and you have things to try and learn and experience and you're traveling to new places. I think that's the time, you know, your motivation to to train and to to grind really is, like I said earlier, it's not a sacrifice at that point. It is what you genuinely want to do. So I try to find ways, of course you need routine, of course you need habit, but little ways to keep it novel and to keep it exciting. And I know for me, that's something I really value. And then my bronze medal one, which is really like a gold medal one, to be honest, is sleep. Mm -hmm. I do not sacrifice my sleep for anything. I cannot think well if I don't sleep, if I don't sleep well, if I don't sleep enough, and I sleep a lot, um, if I don't sleep enough, And like I said, my need for sleep is very high, probably like closer to nine hours a night than seven hours a night, then I'm not going to get the most out of training. You know, I'm not going to get the most out of my day, out of my relationships, out of school when I went to school, even with being a full-time engineer and a full-time NCAA athlete, I would go to sleep at 1030 every night. And to the point of if I hadn't finished my homework, sleep and take the loss on those points because I knew I would fall behind otherwise. You know, that 0.1% of your grade for homework grade, it wasn't worth it to me to then not learn in the lecture the next day and then fall behind and not be able to do my homework and the next day and not get anything out of practice and not be in top shape for my match that weekend. It was always one of my biggest priorities was getting a good night's sleep. It is no wonder that you were an Olympic champion because you have incredible awareness <laughs> and incredible self-discipline to, to be <laughs> able you. to regulate yourself like that. I think that's a mom's dream. I, I really, um, may I ask quickly, what? No, how did you, you cannot adopt me. My mom will let me go. If that's no. your question, you can't. <laughs> uh, I'm, my house is pretty full, but you are welcome <laughs> here. 
<laughs> yeah, anytime. But I had such a great time talking to you tonight. I've learned so much and you are such an incredible spokesperson for U.S. shooting. They are lucky to have you. And on behalf oh, I appreciate of that. the Olympics and the fans of the Olympics, uh, congratulations on your amazing achievement and your continued progress. Oh, one question, my favorite question. Who did you award your Olympic Order of Ecos to? The Medallion of Ecos. Oh, that is such a good question. So I didn't know a lot about the Olympics before no, I, actually going yeah. to the Olympics. Right. So it wasn't until after I'd already won the medal a few days later when someone was like, so who are you giving that to? And I'm like, giving what to? <laughs> and so they explained it to me and it was very- You get a very... second medal because a lot of people don't yes. know that. You get a second medal. It's a little bit different than your medal, but it is of the same color. So if it's gold, you get a second gold medal or mm -hmm. silver, a second silver. And you are at the person who earns the medal is the athlete is asked to award the second medal to the person who has contributed the influence of their success. And it was so difficult because there's so many people on right. my support team. Um, so I actually decided against my parents right. because I couldn't just give it to one of them. Right. You know, I don't play favorites. So mm -hmm. I decided against them, even though they totally deserve a million of those. Mm -hmm. And I actually decided against my college coach because this is an American thing. It's right. not every Olympian. It's only American. And he's Scottish. So it had right. absolutely no significance to him. So I actually gave it to my national team coach, Tom Tamis, who was with me every step of the way from April 1st, when I made the Olympic team to August 6th, mm -hmm. every single day, he was in my corner on the range with me, teaching me. And truly, I, I do not think I would have won an Olympic medal without him. And it was actually very sad um, because at the end of the shooting events, so the rifle, the pistol and the shotgun events, they hold a big party at the Team USA house and right. it's the end of the shooting events. And that's when all the medals are given and the speeches are made and everything. But this was pretty long after my events and long after Rifle had finished. And actually Tom Tamis had a um, death in the family and had to leave early. So he wasn't there. So I gave this great speech for him and he wasn't even there, but I'm, I'm sure everyone told him how amazing my speech was. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, and uh, he actually... Probably a, a year later, someone else took over the role of national coach. But every year on August 6th, I call him and we chat. That is a huge award for coaches because so, yeah. so often coaches are investing so much in the athletes. Yeah. It is m most often given to a coach or a trainer. So I wish I had a million of those medals to give mm -hmm. away because mm -hmm. I think and I'm sure every athlete feels this mm -hmm. way. Like our support system is so big. And I think we, we learn that when we win and we are grateful for that when mm -hmm. we win. But mm -hmm. again, I think we're grateful that and we're reminded of that when we fail. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's, you know, one small silver lining of me not making right. the Olympic team this summer is, you know, you really, you know, who's in your corner and you, you can feel a lot of gratitude for them. Right. Well, I can't imagine you would be without a day's full of work with the way that you 
articulate <laughs> the the opportunities that USA shooting has, you know, especially the collegiate athlete. Thank you again so much for being here and spending time. Thank you. And I want to make sure that you have enough time to get to that awesome cafeteria they have at the um, <laughs> Yes, OTC. it's time for dessert. <laughs> yes. And yeah, uh, and, and I did want to mention, you know, if any of your followers want to follow me and learn more about shooting, I'm on every single platform. Tell us everything. So Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Clubhouse, Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever you want to get a hold of me, you can. Um, it's at Jenny Thrasher. That's my handle. Also JennyThrasher.com if you're looking for autographs or merch or you want to read my bio or something. But um, yeah, I really love talking about the shooting sports, especially to those who maybe don't know and are curious. So I reply to every single message, every DM. So yeah, I would love if they give me a follow and learn more. Of course. And I will hope fully cross paths with you on Clubhouse. Yes, that would be amazing. Mm -hmm. So thanks again. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The Trophy Life. For more information about this podcast or my book, Parent Up, check out my website, kellyrippon.com, or follow me on Instagram, K-R-I-P-P-O-N, Crippon. Don't forget, please leave a comment, subscribe, and hit those stars. Boost up the algorithm. Let's get this podcast out to as many people as possible because we all deserve to learn those winning habits. Thanks for listening.